Hi, I'm Katrina Daniel, and welcome to Primetime Crime, a podcast for people who want to know what goes on behind the scenes of the most notorious trending crime stories and what's going on in the minds of those involved in those stories. What are the detectives, the judges, the defense attorneys, and the prosecutors thinking? You'll hear it all on Primetime Crime, the podcast. This is Primetime Crime. I'm Katrina Daniel. And today's show, a tribute to the 2021 Parents of the Year, James and Jennifer Crumbly, the parents of accused shooter Ethan Crumbly, who shot and killed, allegedly, four of his fellow students and injured several more at his high school in Michigan after mom and dad bought him a semi-automatic. He called it My Beauty. Jennifer and James Crumbly had just bought Ethan an early Christmas present, and Ethan carried it to school in his backpack. And then he allegedly shot and killed four of his classmates. Ethan has, of course, pled not guilty, as did his folks, who were charged with involuntary manslaughter. They also claim they didn't flee arrest, even though they took out four grand from their ATM and left their home and hid out in some poor sucker's art warehouse miles from their home in Michigan and they missed their arraignment. Their lawyers, of course, say it's all a misunderstanding. Right. So let's dissect this with prosecutor Dick Gregory. of a teen accused of killing four students and injuring seven other people at Oxford High School now facing criminal charges alongside their son. The charges are as follows. James Crumbly is charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Jennifer Crumbly is also charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Their son, Ethan Crumbly, charged as an adult with two dozen crimes, including first-degree murder, attempted murder, and terrorism. After investigators say he stormed through the school, armed with a semi-automatic handgun that prosecutors say his father, James, bought for him and failed to adequately secure. My guest today, who has far eclipsed the role of guest, is Uber prosecutor Dick Gregory, who has handled the most high-profile cases in the country. So Dick today is going to approach us uh, and tell us what he would do if he were the prosecutor that was prosecuting Jennifer and James Crumley. Um, Dick, thanks a lot as usual for joining us. So the Crumleys, Jennifer and James, who are now being charged with involuntary manslaughter for counts. Their kid is the accused, and I do paper air quotes, um, killer of four people in his high school in Michigan. Parents bought him the gun for Christmas. Merry Christmas, Ethan. Tell me what you would do if you were the prosecutor of Jennifer and James Crumley. Well, I think I think that you have to look at the state law. Each state is different on, on the laws on this particular subject. And in fact, I think there are something like 14 states who, who don't have any laws or regulations regarding uh, uh, handing weapons over to, to children. But um, in particular in Michigan, and uh, this is the, uh, the difficulty the prosecution is going to have, you have to show that a reasonable parent would have uh, not done the things that they did, that they actually uh, uh, encouraged the, the uh, use and possession of the weapon by this, uh, this young man. And so you've got to look carefully at the, at the Michigan law. And I'm sure, as you've seen in the recent trials that uh, you've been watching, 
Um, judges give instructions on that particular law. It's enacted in, in the Michigan legislature. And uh, as you are aware, Michigan is a state that encourages gun possession. So uh, this is, is going to be difficult because you actually have to show that the uh, the parents aided and abetted and encouraged uh, this young man's uh, use of the weapon. Well, considering Jennifer Crumley's emails to her son, which told him not to get caught with the gun and um, other things like that. And then the last minute she apparently came to it and said, oh, Ethan, don't do it. But it was too late by then. And four other people's kids were dead. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think the evidence is, is uh, overwhelming from a common sense point of view. But you have to look at it in view of the uh, the, the regulations and the law. And uh, unfortunately, Michigan it it puts a, a, a much larger burden on the state to show that the uh, the parents were negligent in the way in which uh, they allowed him access to this weapon. Now, as I understand it, there is some uh, evidence, and at least this is going to be part of the defense that they're arguing is that the, the gun was locked, but I, I don't know how well it could have been locked when the uh, kid got access to it so easily. But, but um, I have read and I haven't seen this evidence that there is some indication that uh, Mr. Crumley claims that, that uh, he had the, uh, the weapon locked. I would also look at the, the, the school because certainly this kid brought the backpack to school with him. If you're gonna let him go back to class, you should have at least made sure that he didn't have possession of a weapon of any kind. And uh, certainly the school could have uh, instituted a search of his locker, his desk, and his backpack to make sure that, that there was nothing further. It's interesting, the uh, email you were talking about, uh, he was he was uh, buying ammunition for his, his weapon that he called his beauty. Yep. Uh, just the mindset of this young man, you, you would have thought would have put any reasonable parent on notice that... Uh, uh, he needed some instruction on gun safety and gun use. And uh, I, I assure you that, uh, you know, if you were to talk to uh, uh, gun owners and gun users, they would tell you, oh, we're very careful how we do it. Unfortunately, uh, uh, young children are shooting themselves every day and these uh, attacks in schools uh, go on, I think. And I, I've said this to you, but uh, if you look at the Second Amendment, the Second Amendment's first nine words are very careful about starting off with saying a well-regulated militia. This is what the Second Amendment is about. It was not meant to give every 15-year-old access to a semi-automatic weapon that shoots 100 bullets inside of a minute. This is a total misreading of the Constitution. And anybody who tries to tell me that there's a constitutional right to give this child a weapon and let him have full access to it is not reading what the original fathers intended. That's correct. All right, so if you were prosecuting this case, who would you call as witnesses against the Crumleys? Well, I and you first you go to the uh, store where the weapon was purchased, and uh, it was clear that the boy didn't purchase the weapon, his father purchased the weapon. So right. it was his father's weapon, his father signed for it, his father took it. Uh, I would then call the uh, folks at, at the uh, gun range where mom took the uh, kid to the gun range. And I would also get access to her uh, telephone records that indicates that uh, she took the son to the, uh, to the range to, to test it out and use it. I think his emails and her emails with him are the most convincing evidence that there is. 
certainly, you know, when, when he got caught trying to, to locate where he could get more ammunition and he got caught at it, and his mother's reaction to that uh, was, was to say, uh, don't get caught, I think is an indication of, of what kind of attitude these parents had and what effort they were, they were making in trying to control the, uh, the boy's access to uh, a weapon he should have been in possession of, especially in school. Yeah, there is, there's apparently a history there of these parents. She has two check-kiting charges. I think James has a DUI, but, you know, that shouldn't mean they automatically arm their kid, which in this case they did. They also, when the school called them and told them of the disturbing pictures and the drawings that their son Ethan had made, they came to the school but refused to take the kid home. The school mandated them, hey, get him into counseling within 48 hours. And they said, nope, not happening, left him in school and both went their merry ways. So, I mean, talk to me how you're gonna handle this on the stand, Dick. I, I think the um, uh, conversation between the school officials and the parents when they call them into the school is very important. However, uh, a good defense attorney is gonna put as much blame on the school yeah. and school officials as, as uh, a prosecutor is gonna put on the parents. And, and it may well be that you're uh, gonna divert some of the jury's attention. So that conversation is very important. And I think it, uh, it may be better to call the teachers that caught them with the drawings and caught them with the a request for ammunition than to actually go into that conversation with the principal authorities in the school because, quite frankly, they, they may themselves be guilty of part of this crime. So I, I think that's a potential issue and one that certainly a prosecutor is going to think about before uh, they call him in. Again, though, that puts the, the school in the position of having to search the kid. So unless they go armed deputy to search his backpack, which is conjecture is that he had the gun on him all along. But if you were just a teacher going through his backpack, you have no guarantee the kid isn't going to go crazy and, and shoot you while you're searching his backpack. Well, I, I would certainly think that if the parents were there, you would ask the parents to go uh, check on it. And I would have been amazed if they said absolutely not. But um the fact that the father went home and went looking for the weapon and found that, that it wasn't there and then called the police after he was in the process of uh, a shooting is an indication that uh, uh, the father knew that he should have been looking for the weapon and, and should have done that uh, as soon as the school had called him in. I, I can't imagine that they didn't do that. And certainly if they thought there was a possibility that the weapon was anywhere in the school, that they would have at very least kept everybody away from the locker and where his backpack was until they, they got the proper people there to uh, go through it. But uh, I think it's, a, it's a, a very sad set of circumstances that you have two parents who demonstrated such little uh, concern for the, the fellow students in, in the school. Unfortunately, uh, this is America today. You know, we, we, we talk about a lot of different issues and. And, uh, you know, we, we have rights, which uh, we turn into very selfish motives at times that are more concerned with uh, how it affects us than how it affects the people around us. And I, I think that's a, that's a real concern. But as a prosecutor looking at, at this case, 
I think there are more than sufficient evidence to bring out about the facts that these parents knew that uh, he was uh, had access to this weapon, that uh, he was uh, they should be concerned about his his possession of it, and that uh, they should have been concerned that he was going to do some damage, and in fact were informed that uh, he was he was uh, thinking about doing damage, and that uh, they did little or nothing to uh, to prevent it. What do you make of the Crumbleys fleeing their home right after they were indicted, after they were charged? They left their home in Oakland and went to an artist's warehouse in downtown Detroit. Now they say they weren't hiding out and they weren't fleeing, but they withdrew 4,000 bucks from their ATM and go you know, to a totally different area and miss their arraignment. And they're saying, yeah. oh, we were fearful of our lives. Yeah, okay. What do you make of that? Well, flight is evidence of, of guilt, the knowledge of guilt. And uh, so the fact that, that they left, however, they are going to use as a defense that they were getting personal threats. And I, I don't know if they have evidence of any of these. Maybe they were, you know, people were uh, uh, upset with them because of the, the facts that had come out on the news. Yeah. Um, and so it might be understandable that they, they uh, were concerned about uh, personal threats at their home. But the fact that they went to a local warehouse after they'd been notified that, uh, that the arraignment was coming, that they should at least be in touch with their lawyer and be available. And they were making no effort to respond. So I think their flight is evidence of guilt and, and it certainly uh, could come out and should come out as evidence that they didn't respond immediately when law enforcement came looking for them. Right, let me ask you a question from the defense side, because I know you're familiar with that side of the fence as well. So the Crumleys don't have a lot of money, period. They spend it on a gun. Really great. Who is going to pay for their defense? They're like the Rittenhouses. These are blue-collar people. Who pays for their defense? Well, if they cannot afford an attorney, I'm sure an, afford an attorney will be appointed for them, so they will yeah. get the uh, public defender. They, they obviously had a lawyer of some kind because uh, there was a lawyer uh, on call with the prosecutors and, and had been talking to the prosecutors. So obviously they had been able to get uh, uh, counsel of some kind. Whether they can afford an attorney for, for this trial, uh, you know, this is going to be a major news case. And I, I would think there'd be a lot of attorneys that would uh, like to take the case just because it's a high profile, uh, yeah. interesting uh, uh, argument. You may get people who are large gun advocates and, and uh, take exception to there being any rules about children in possession of weapons. So you may uh, idealists of that from that uh, side of the fence who, who uh, would want to take a case. Yeah, everybody believes on gun rights until their kid gets blown away. And then, oops, maybe not. Katrina, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I'm not a uh, gun advocate of any kind whatsoever. Um, I, I, as again, I, I point out to you that the Second Amendment does not justify everybody having a gun and, you know, passing it out to minors. That is not what the Second Amendment says. And, you know, I'm amazed. Uh, this is only since 2008 or nine when one justice on the Supreme Court decided that he was going to make it an individual right, because up until that time, almost all of the cases had, had gone in the other direction. And uh, it will be interesting. There are some Supreme Court uh, cases being argued this year as to uh, how the Second Amendment should be interpreted. It certainly isn't uh, uh, in support of the kind of use of the gun that was uh, that will be talked about in this case.
if you had to go out on a limb, what would your prediction be? Are these people going to plead guilty to avoid a trial? Or do you think they'll want to become the poster children for, for bad parents, which, hey, they already are? Well, I think that there will be pretrial motions uh, attacking the validity of, of the statute. They may, and, and I don't know if the court will allow them to do this, take a plea pending a, a decision on the uh, constitutionality of, of, of the statute. They may get lawyers who are willing to uh, defend them based on the uh, constitutionality of the uh, statute or whether uh, this particular charge fits the crime with which they're charged. They were not in possession of, of the gun when the shootings occurred. They, they didn't know that the kid had the gun. Uh, they, they may well try to build a factual uh, basis for a constitutional attack on the Michigan statute. But see, everybody's overlooking the fact that you got four dead kids and, and 11 people injured. Well, un unfortunately, this seems to be almost a uh, bi-monthly or tri-monthly yeah. event, isn't it, yeah. Katrina? We, we keep, keep having school shootings yeah. and and uh, street shootings by, by kids who have no business having weapons whatsoever. I, I have friends who are big gun advocates, and uh, I work with agents every day who uh, handle weapons. Guns are very dangerous instruments, and they are used for a very specific purpose. And it, it is not in everybody's interest. We don't turn cars over to 14-year-olds. To, to you know, we, we have a 16-year-old uh, limit on when you can start driving a car. Uh, uh, this is a dangerous implement. And uh, uh, we're talking about a philosophy here, not necessarily a legal argument in court. And unfortunately, as a prosecutor, picking a jury in a case like this in Michigan will be a very interesting uh, aspect of this case because... There are people that believe that everybody ought to have a gun. But uh, unfortunately, that this country is divided, especially when it comes to uh, weapons. It's a fact. Yep, it is. Would you want to be the prosecutor in this case, Dick? Oh, I, I, I think this would be a great case to try. Unfortunately, as I say, uh, I think you're going to be stuck with, with uh, legal and constitutional issues that, uh, as a prosecutor, you may have no control over. Uh, factually, this is a very sound and solid case. Unfortunately, uh, the, the uh, attacks on this case won't be based on the facts. They're going to be based on the law. Okay. They, they might be a lot better off pleading guilty and basing it on the mercy of the court, but uh, that's a decision I don't think these people with, with their mindset is, are going to take. Thanks for listening to Primetime Crime, the podcast. Follow us on Facebook at Primetime Crime and on Instagram and Twitter at Primetime Crime underscore. Post your comments and tell us what true crime stories you'd like to hear about. Subscribe to Primetime Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Thanks a lot.